So dude, like a lot of things are happening. Like I got my new MacBook Pro from school, which was awesome. And then I my Kickstarter for Charles Soul arrived and, and uh, Ryan Brown, the curse words one. And I bought like the package deal. The one that I chose was um, hopefully we get to do the interview soon. But also he made like a, he called it a war star, you know, drawing. And so Charles drew a picture. I don't know if like you got to see it. Um, the Snapchat that I sent oh, you. Oh yeah, that was that random drawing. Yeah, of, like what is that? A raccoon it's, with it's, a it's a, a koala. It's one of the villains in Curse Words. And then like the banana is holding uh, holding a lightsaber, and it's like I'm a Jedi, like my father before me. And so it's just I love it. It's just Charles Soul being <laughs> Charles Soul, <laughs> and that's so freaking great. And um, yeah. So then, uh, but also cool. I was on uh, Sons of Harnarchy yesterday, uh, with which is um, I guess like a sister pod not really like it's opposite like they're it's like that third cousin you don't talk about because they're like a high functioning alcoholic that's how <laughs> we are with sons of hanarchy <laughs> we love them so much they're good friend. steve's a good friend of us ours and uh so we they talk about white socks and baseball so we talked about that i uh and then um i asked them actually about uh some of the uh, power stuff so maybe we might get some traction from them uh but yeah it was it was cool like the best part about being able to hang out with steve was that we binge watch mando from like episode three season two wait he hadn't seen it he, didn't, he, he okay so he stopped after season two episode two because it, the egg episode was for him he was just like it was really boring and i never had thought about you know i guess for like a non-fan like that that episode probably is a episode where you'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm 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 bouncing. Um, but then I made him watch from C- from episode three all the way to the end, and he was like, "This is so good." I'm like, "Yes, yes, it is." <laughs> yes, this this is incredible. Yeah, but the egg had a lot of cute Baby Yoda moments. I don't care what people say. Like, I enjoy Baby Yoda eating the eggs. It's just an evil part of me that's like, yeah, a toddler would do that and be naughty like that. Yeah, I I didn't have an issue with it. Uh, it was just like for him, he was like, it doesn't do anything for the plot, and I'm like, yeah, I do agree with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, you, you you're right. Yeah, but he <laughs> every time like when like when Boba Fett showed up or Luke at the end, I I was getting tired. It was like two a.m. at this point, and so I was like kind of dozing off like I normally do. And uh, and the, you know the ex when he comes in and he goes, is that it? Is that it? Is that the is that the big surprise that you keep on talking about? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. And then, <laughs> I, I don't know. And, and then, and then, like, you know, Luke does his thing, and <laughs> and he's like, I knew it. As soon as the X wing showed up, I knew it. And you just didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I if there was anything I could re-experience for the first time, it would probably be the season finale of like a re-experience in media for the first time. It would be probably that season finale. Like that shook me to my core. Yeah, it, it literally was such a good ending, and uh, it, like ah, uh, the just bringing Luke back and seeing him, you know, before Last Jedi, but after Return of the Jedi was awesome. Yeah, but we're gonna be diving back into some some debatably awesome points. I don't know if it's awesome or not, but we're going back to our blow it out your pot plot hole series to discuss a few plot holes in Star Wars. Justice, can you kind of describe our method, the method to our madness when it comes to plot holes? Yeah, we like to take certain things in Star Wars that necessarily don't make sense or are controversial and we like to kind of uh, break them down and then see if there's any validity to them. 
And then we also like to take other books, comics, uh, other aspects of movies and try explaining or filling in that plot hole. And then we like to grade it and dis- decide, you know, are people being stupid or is it, you know, is this a legitimate plot hole? And today we're starting out with one that is honestly a pretty controversial one within the Star Wars community. So the plot hole of Ray's significantly high and quick power jump. So let, let me break down this plot hole for you guys. So you got Ray coming in Force Awakens, no training whatsoever, random lady stuck in the desert. And immediately starts to gain powers at a rather quick rate. So you have her able to fight off Kylo Ren's mind reading and then read his own mind. Kylo being a trained dark side user and Ray again being a rando, able to mind trick a stormtrooper, force pull a lightsaber and defeat Kylo in a fight. And that's just Force Awakens. And you have that contrasting with what we see in the prequels. And the prequels having it be where it takes a while to learn these techniques and it takes a while to become a Jedi. So a lot of fans point that out and say, okay, what the hell? Like, why is she able to do that so quickly? Is What's the deal with this? And you get into some hateful stuff, but I think the overall plot hole is something worth exploring. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to talk about this. I have a lot of opinions on this, um, and I'm excited to you know talk about the original trilogy going along with this. And um, yeah, there there is a lot of things. I, I think it's I think one of the things that we got to do is we have to break it down where like we can look at overall like big picture from Force Awakens to Rise of Skywalker, but then individually in each movie and like kind of explain like why um, you know if. I guess, is is this a plot hole or not? Yeah. So I, I mentioned a lot of this stuff with Force Awakens, and I think that's the one, other than Rise Skywalker, that's most hotly contested. Of She basically has no formal training, but engages Kylo in that fight, does a Jedi mind trick, does all this kind of crazy stuff. And you see a little bit more of that kind of like OP power in TLJ with her floating the rocks. The main argument is that like, okay, she's able to do this when Luke was not really training her. And then Rise of Skywalker is probably the other one that's huge. Like she freaking takes down Palpatine off of some kind of plot device with the dyad and her summoning the powers of all the Jedi. But like Palpatine's insane degree of power this rando who's only had a little bit of training with Leia is somehow able to take over. So, like, what's your overall thoughts, dude, on, like, that overarching line with Rey? I, I have... There's no validity to this as being a plot hole, in my opinion. Um, especially if you... Like, if we took away the 30 years of books, or the 40 years, or however long Star Wars has been, and we just take the original trilogy, there are so many parallels between Luke and what happened in him in the first couple movies to what Ray goes through in those in her you know her trilogy um so i just i have a really hard time i think the difference is uh well uh, one i'm going to say like male versus female but also like we have you know the original trilogy with all these books all these extra like canonical canonical things and legend stuff and prequels so uh we have like this preconceived conception of like what a jedi training should be and then you just like throw in like you said this this person so i feel uh, I feel like if you just took the original trilogy and then compared it to the sequel trilogy, there is no validity to the the plot hole. 
Yeah, and we'll we'll dive into that a little bit with Luke because there's definitely a lot of parallels. Well, but I gotta acknowledge. So going, let's go into the little bit of the defense of that plot hole. So like some reasons for its legitimacy. One is the obvious. Like you could just throw out there that she's a Palpatine dude and just have it be like, okay, that's enough. But I feel like for most people, that's not enough for them to rationalize the idea of this not being plot hole. Right. That that and that's why I was saying like we need to look at like if you looked at it, the big picture, you could just throw out she's a P- Palpatine. But we didn't get that until Rise of Skywalker. So that's, I think that's why like uh, you got to have to break this down per movie um, to make it like I guess to, uh, for us to explain it a little bit more. But yeah, you're right. Like you could easily throw it away that she's a Palpatine, just kind of like how Anakin can, can do certain things because he's a Skywalker, or Luke can do certain things because he's a Skywalker. It's the same thing. Yeah, definitely with that. Um, so you mentioned the idea of his, her parallels with Luke. Let's dive into a little bit of the original trilogy stuff. So another kind of plot hole, or I don't know how to classify it, is that Luke essentially has a pretty quick learning curve as well. So I was looking up the numbers, dude, and it's all over the place for how much training Luke actually had. But in A New Hope, he basically has no training from Obi-Wan, like only a little bit on the Millennium Falcon, and he's still able to use the Force to destroy the Death Star. Like he's still able to track that bullet with basically no training. Not as OP as like defeating Kyle Ren, but still like pretty OP sort of power. But you get more of his OP power, I think, in Empire. Because, like, Dagobah, he's not there that long. Yeah, he's able to lift all these rocks and uh, go around and, I guess, you know, face off against Vader, who's arguably stronger than the strongest person, like the most badass villain, evil villain. So, And he's able to walk away with only getting his hand cut off. So, you know, it's saying something, I guess. Like, he was able to amass all this power to um, only get his hand cut off. Yeah, and... Like, he's force jumping, he's doing all kinds of actually decent battling with, within who knows what kind of level of training. Because I was looking it up, and it's all over the place online on how much training he actually got in Dagobah. So I've seen as low as only about seven days worth of training to as high as about a year. Which, either way, is like pretty low prequels kind of standards. I feel like the year thing is kind of a stretch. Maybe that's just because the movie's Same. so short, but it just like, it doesn't seem like what's happening in the other background, you know, with like Han and Leia, like that doesn't seem like that last, that takes a whole year. So I would go with this, the seven days. Same. I'd lean towards that just because of the background area, but like some nerds go in depth, bro. Like they, they calculate the light years it would take theoretically for Han and Leia to get to Cloud City. And so they figure out the exact time that would be with Luke on Dagobah. And even then it's like all over the place. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that much math. No, that's, that's a special kind of nerd and shout out to you guys for doing that. But, uh, I, I like other things. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you're mentioning kind of breaking down movie by movie here. What do you think about kind of the OP critique for her with Force Awakens? So my issue with people saying that she's overpowered and uh, Force Awakens, I kind of get frustrated because JJ sets this up. And okay, so like the things that I, I've heard people complain about is that she's able to use a lightsaber and is skilled, like the Force, obviously, and she can fly the Millennium Falcon. 
Those are the things that I've heard people complain about. But in like the first 10 minutes of The Force Awakens, he establishes already that she has skills in these areas. She, You see her riding the speeder. In the original trilogy, you only see Luke riding the speeder, or, or uh, yeah, riding that and saying he wanted to go fly for the, you know, the Empire. And also Rey is going into all these massive ships, finding certain materials. And so she's, I would say, well familiar with, you know, spaceships. When it comes to fighting, you see Finn like trying to go in to protect her and she's able to, you know, fend for herself. So she already has some combat training in that area. And then I don't know, I guess, how to do the force one, but I just think that you know, in in the within even the Force Awakens, we don't have to look to other materials. He's already setting up that Ray is not just this like random person; that she has the ability to do some of the things that like Luke was was able to do. Yeah, and one kind of rationalization I found when looking over this was that they argue that you know that scene where uh, Kylo's trying to mind control Ray. It seems like her force powers sort of spark after that. Um, so a lot of people argue that because of the dyad they have in the force, that she basically, while reading his mind, had a lot of his experience transferred to her. Um, now, see, that, that one seems a little bit of a stretch to me. Like, it can make sense, but it's definitely a stretch. Like, there's no canon material saying that that's a thing. But it's just one way that people try to rationalize it. So that is one, but I don't think it's kind of the most compelling one to me. I, the only thing that is the one where I'm like, oh, it's like, I guess she learned, you know, how to use the force. Is It's the force one that's the one that is, I guess, not as ex- easily explainable. But like Luke, he was able to deflect the bullet, um, you know, when they're on the Millennium Falcon. And then he was able to use the force to shoot a turbo laser or like a, like a laser in to blow up the Death Star. So those those two things you know, are like he, he had limited training. So I don't know how the force works particularly, I guess. So maybe that's easier than having a lightsaber come to you and doing Jedi mind tricks, but still like the force is the force. Yeah. And I, I think that they need more kind of canon material on what the hell a dyad is. Cause if they explain that a lot of these things could be rationalized in the future, I mean, it's definitely kind of a cheap rationalization for us, knowing that the sequels aren't a cohesive plot, but it would be one that would at least make sense, you know? Yeah. Gary, can you explain to people what a dyad is? So, the Force dyad here, based off of Wikipedia, is a pairing of two Force-sensitive beings, making them one in the Force. So, with that idea of kylo and ray becoming one in the force so ray would have a lot of the power from kylo transferred to her theoretically because of that and then the power of the diet it was as strong as life itself and individuals who formed the diet shared a connection that spanned across space and time so they're really darn connected through this force diet so you could make a pretty decent case that because of it it would transfer over a lot of Kylo's extra training and hoopla to Ray fairly instantaneously just because they have that unnatural connection. And you really see that a break open in The Last Jedi and then it's fully like showcased in Rise of Skywalker when there's that battle and they're going like back and forth on the ship and on the planet and they're they're having their lightsaber lightsaber battle. You see that like the dyad really coming into play there. Yeah, it's like their minds are basically linked, and if they're linked by the Force into 
basically their life force itself. You can see how there'd be like enough connection there to make her have a lot of Kylo's extra training added in. There's also like I was thinking about this when you know just because Luke wasn't training her doesn't mean that she wasn't, you know, still getting knowledge from the books and also from, you know, being on that um being on Octu. And then also I have a feeling that because we're talking about this dyad that there was times where they had, you know, communication with each other. That doesn't mean that like what we saw doesn't maybe there's times where, you know, Ray and Kylo like talked about the force or how to use the force. Like I just feel like that on act two, there could have been so much like that we didn't see where she was able to learn more force and like, what is the force and what is a Jedi and whatnot. There's a lot of opportunities for that. Like, for comics or books to expand on in the future. Because she was there for a fair amount of time. It's a super high, like, intensity force spot. And she's constantly communicating with Kylo. So, like, she could, in theory, learn a lot from him. We just don't know if they did. Um, but we do know she, like you mentioned, she had the books. So just purely reading those on a really high sensitivity area probably could have increased her powers a whole heck of a lot. And maybe exploring that dark side area, too, added a little bit more to it as well. Uh, definitely a lot within that realm that could be a good rationalization that we don't really have material yet. Maybe that's a cool future comic for whoever's out there that wants to write stuff. Right? Like, I, I would definitely be down for that. But the other one that... Okay, so this was my train of thought on this dude, and let me know what you think of it. I think I might have talked about it on the show, but I think the real reason she jumped back so quickly is because of the whole idea of balance in the Force. So... I know there's a lot of Force users who are alive right now, but there's usually, like, the primary Dark Lords and the primary, like, light users. So the primary Dark Lords right now are Snoke or Palpatine, because they're kind of the same sort of deal, and Kylo. And the primary light side users would be Luke and nobody. He doesn't have the apprentice there. Well, could you even say Luke, because um, he, he severed himself from the Force? I'd say, like, pre-TLJ, you can make an argument that it was Luke at the same time. Um, until he severed himself from the Force, and then it became probably even more off-balance. You know, because Ahsoka is, even to her own admittance, isn't a Jedi. Like, she says that in Rebels when she's fighting Vader. All, all kinds of fans say that she's more gray in her demeanor. And you can see, she's pretty darn brutal when you see her in Mando. So I wouldn't even classify her as a pure light side user. So, like, you have, at the very least, a balance of no apprentice, if not an imbalance of no apprentice and no master. So the Force is going to try to naturally correct itself. And you get an example of this in the Revan novel. If you look back into Legends, the Revan novel, they talk about this idea that the Force naturally wants to be in balance and will correct itself, that when there's a high-intensity power on one side, there will be growing high-intensity power on the other. So when... Like, say, way back when the Sith were rebuilding, there's a high-intensity power of the Jedi growing up the huge power of Palpatine. And then now it's you have this huge power of Snoke slash Palpatine and Kylo bringing up the power for the light in a ray. Like, it's craving that balance. So the Revan book had a pretty awesome quote. Um, basically, if you guys haven't read the book, spoilers, it's been, what, like 15 freaking years? Read the book, it's awesome. But he, Revan is basically about to fight the Sith Emperor, like the ultimate embodiment of evil. And he's confident that if he dies in this fight, 
another champion of the light side of the force will rise to defeat this emperor because the force wants that balance. So a quote from the book is, the force always strives for balance. The emperor is an agent of darkness and destruction. It is inevitable that a champion of the light will one day rise to oppose him. I may be that champion. So this would kind of argue that why did Rey gain so much power so quickly? It's inevitable because the force needed balance to come back that quickly. No, I, I like that idea. I like I like that a lot. Um, I I think we're at the moment right now where there is like the there there's a time where the sequel trilogy just came out, so we we haven't had the amount of time for Star Wars to fill in these gaps of things that are going on with the novels, the books, the TV shows, whatever what, whatever it may be. Um, so right now we're trying to rationalize it with other things, but give it, you know, five, 10 years and we'll have something out there that is explains, you know, I mean, I don't really think we need it, but like why Ray is able to, you know, force pull the lightsaber or or fight Kylo or something like that. Um, Well, you bring in a good question. Like, do, do we really need that extra rationalization? Because I think a lot of fans would say that they probably need that. You know, they would consider it a big enough plot hole. Which I don't know if I'd feel the same way. I, I ever since I I don't know what article or what I was reading, but ever since they broke down the fact that like how JJ set up Ray's character in the beginning of the Force Awakens, it like really opened my eyes to the fact that I don't really think we need a super you know big explanation on it, and 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 then especially when you look back on the original trilogy, I think there the parallels are just too similar that it's. You know, it's it's not really necessary. Yeah, I'd agree overall. The only thing I would say in defense of those who really feel like they need that rationale is the disparity between Force Awakens and TLJ, or more so TLJ and Rise of Skywalker. Because if Rey was a nobody based off of TLJ, then it's really abrupt to have her be a Palpatine and have all the power make sense. Because in TLJ, her being a nobody, it's like, okay, then why the hell is she so powerful? Then in Rise of Skywalker, she's just a Palpatine. You know, that kind of abrupt change, I think, adds in enough where people are like, okay, I just want a little bit more explanation. I don't feel it's needed, but I get it. Oh, no, I think it would be really cool if we got a book that, you know, I think it would be cool if we got a book that kind of paralleled the training that Luke gave to Leia and then Leia gave to Rey. I think that would be a really cool Star Wars sequel trilogy book that would come out. Like, give that to Claudia Gray and I would, like, eat that up. Oh, she'd be, like, perfect with that. And I think Luke did give her some training. Like, there's deleted scenes where we've talked about in our TLJ podcast of of Luke kind of teaching her little lessons in the Force. So not like he's teaching her Form 3 or all kinds of BS like that. Like, he's teaching her random Force wisdoms. Um, and then Leia is actually teaching her the nuts and bolts of how to be a badass. So, like, she's getting some decent training. Yeah, and I think that it's a good time to, I guess, on a scale of one to ten, you know, where would you, would you, how many numbers would you give this as a like a plot hole? Like, where, where would you give it? So, like, if we're doing the scale, like zero being this isn't a plot hole at all. All these fanboys are just butt hurt, and ten being this is a gaping plot hole. Disney's an idiot. I'd give this only like a four. So it's not, there's enough there that you can be like, okay, I feel you guys for being a little bit like off about this, but the rationale is good enough that there's more rationale for it than against it. 
Like, what do you think, dude? I think it's like a two. Like, Star Wars has never been like this master, well planned out thing. There's always been, you know, certain mistakes, or you know, it's it, it's it's just Star Wars. It's just a movie. Like, I don't, I I just think it's more fanboys being fan bros being upset, and and you know, they just need to get over themselves. Like, Ray's not a bad character, in my opinion. No, I think Ray's a great character. I think that the woes of the sequel trilogy are definitely well founded. Um, but not necessarily in this case, you know, like, oh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of issues with the sequels, but I don't think I mean, I'll I'll argue this for ages, but I think that the Ray and Kylo plot is very good throughout the sequels. Everything else could be a little bit all over the place, but the Ray and Kylo plot line, I think, is fairly solid. I agree. And, and you know, we've gone over this on our opinions of the sequel trilogy and it not being like maybe the most favorite, but I, I do think that. There are some really great points and parts of the sequel trilogy, and I would have to agree with you that the Ray and Kylo stuff um, is good and is interesting, and uh, especially like TLJ, it's really captivating. Um, and I'm not even saying like I'm like a a Raylo or whatnot. It just makes the story interesting. I'm a little bit of a Raylo. I currently have a portrait of the Knights of Ren right in front of me, and. I love me some Kylo. I, I did get the uh, Ray Funko Pop too for Christmas, which I'm like, I, I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, you ready to? We we had this one that's a big old rabbit hole, and like usual with our plot hole stuff, we have another one that's a little less of a rabbit hole. Can you kind of break this down for us? Yeah, for this uh, second one, we're gonna take a step back into the original trilogy with uh, a New Hope. And we're going to talk about, I think there's kind of two plot holes in here, um, but we're just going to kind of combine them into one. But we're going to talk about why the Death Star can travel very quick, but it doesn't appear right in front of Yavin 4, where the Rebels are at, to blow it up. Or they just don't blow up Yavin 4 and call it at the end of the day. (laughs) Um, Why do we have this long, dramatic, you know, scene where we wait for the Death Star to get around the planet before they can blow up the rebels. Yeah, this one it bothers me. Um but I try to not let it bother bother me. So I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I did quite an extensive amount of research and there's really not any you know this yeah i don't even like there this is kind of a plot hole um like starwars.com came out with an article trying to like explain it away but so i'm gonna give a little defense on you know why this is kind of acceptable so the first thing is uh han talks about how you know hyperspace travel is very uncertain and you know if you've been reading the light of the jedi then you really really know what you know they're talking about how one miscalculation can you know throw everything off and so someone was saying that they you know got out of the hyperspace and just plopped themselves there because they didn't want to know where the you know the moon was at and wrote its rotation and so they just like happened to be on the wrong side also they didn't want to go too far to get into the, the you know they I, well, I guess they got into the gravity well of the planet so that like 
you don't I guess there's something I don't I'm not very you know good with this stuff but you don't want to get like mixed in like in the hyperspace with the gravity well of a planet and then you know get blown up um so that's one thing what are your thoughts on that Gary uh I I can understand for like long distance hyperspace travel but they're literally like right outside of it you know but from the first jump to the other oh that one can make sense from that first jump can yes, definitely make sense. Make, I, but I don't. I don't also. I don't see them making a jump from where they're at to the other side. Like that. That dump. I don't know. Does that jump make any sense? Wouldn't you just because because you have to go at it from this perspective? Also, this is another point. The Death Star is a supposedly impenetrable. It's got no d or no weakness, and Tarkin is overconfident AF. So, why would you think feel the need to? do another hyperspace jump to get around the planet, like just not move at normal, you know, speed around it. So that's defense number okay, two. Okay. The, the other one, and I've gotten mixed. Um, this is a lot of Reddit guys. So uh, take everything I'm saying. So with a grain justice of salt. got um, <laughs> definitely frustrated and then decided to just buy stock in GameStop. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, get that Dogecoin. Uh, <laughs> That's going to date this episode. Yeah, right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the other thing that is uh, something to think about people. So so that kind of explains why they they didn't, you know, just plop themselves right in front of the, the moon and blow the rebels up because, you know, hyperspace is tricky and they don't know where the moon's rotation is at and towards the planet. And then why they didn't just blow up Yavin and then, you know, call it a day is because unlike Alderaan, Yavin is a gas planet. And so there is some theories that either there's not going to be an explosion where you get asteroids. Like either it's going to go through it. And if they weren't in the right position, then it's going to miss the moon or the gases are so thick that it's not going to get through the planet and it's going to dissipate. And, uh, you know, the, because the laser, because according to StarWars.com, the laser is not all powerful. And I, or there are some theories that if you do, in fact, blow up Yavin, the planet, then you're creating a star. So not only will the rebels die, but the Death Star will blow up as well because you're going to create a huge, like, massive explosion. That one I buy. It's a gas giant. That one I buy a little bit more is that they're trying to do this to preserve um, themselves a little bit. That one I can get. And then the other explanation is because Tarkin is overconfident and you have Darth Vader who's, you know, they know the rebels are attacking and, but he's a perfect pilot and whatnot. So he can easily wipe them out. We'll just move into the perfect position because I don't think we really know how long it takes for them to recharge a shot from the Death Star. And if they tried shooting through Yavin and missed, then the rebels can easily just get away. Which I, but then even like they'd still be outside Yavin. So even if it took them like a day or two to recharge, they'd just be like, well, screw it. Let's like take a day or two and recharge. But once they recharge, like the rebels could be, you know, on Dantooine or wherever, like they could have left and like, like they did with Hoth. Mm, okay. Okay. That's the, that's the thing. Like they shoot their shot, miss. And by that time the rebels are like, well, let's screw it. Like, let's just go. Um, Let's abandon our mission to try blowing this up and, you know, 
whatever. So, okay, let me see if I'm catching this right. So we got some big argument of Tarkin's taking his time because he's overconfident. The argument of if they shoot it and with the makeup of the planet, it could become dangerous to them. And then also the argument of they don't want to miss, otherwise they lose their opportunity. Are those kind of like the main ones right now? Yes, those are the main defenses and why you have this extremely long, drawn-out time where the Death Star is going around the planet. Which, even then, those... I can I can rationalize it for myself, and all of the Star Wars fans are going to be pissed at us because we defended ardently a plot hole in the sequels, and we're saying crap about one of the original trilogy. But this one's tough. This one is tough for me. I have to, like, ignore it in my brain every time I watch it. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, if, we're, like, on the scale that we have, I'd probably give this one a higher number. I'm not just going to, like, flat out. Like, it, it's it's there to build suspense. That's really what it's there for. And, you know, you're on the edge of your seat because it's, like, this countdown to, you know, when is Luke going to be able to, you know, blow up the Death Star before they blow up the Rebels? I get it. Like, it's, it's you know, nice and you're on your edge of your seat. But at the same time, um, you know, there, I don't know if these all these reasons are good enough to defend the plot. <laughs> well, the thing that gets me is that, like, okay, for sequels and prequels, we had a limited amount of time for them to think over these things and try to defend it, um, especially for the sequels. They've had so long to come up with something for a reason. And like from a certain point of view, I can't think of a chapter discussing that or any kind of thing to give a really good definitive reason. So like I give them less grace for it, you know? And and also on that Star Wars article that I didn't find but just saw like excerpts from, uh, they was talking about how the Death Star isn't, you know, all powerful, so they don't even think it would have been a been able to blow up Yavin. Really? Which is definitely BS because it, it done wrecked Alderaan. So I call BS on that. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I would love to find that article though because I want to read it. But again, guys, tell us what you think. Again, it, like we said with the sequels, you know, it's Star Wars and you got to build suspense and make it fun. And it's just, it's for the kids. Right, yeah. Gary? Like we totally get it's, it's, it's definitely a movie device. So if you're going to overthink it, um, you're going to be disappointed probably with this plot hole. But if you choose like we do to not overthink it and just be like, yeah, that's probably a plot hole, but is it epic? Yes, it's epic. What I just got from that advice sounds like if you overthink things, it means you need to get high and then watch Star Wars. I mean, that's not a bad way to solve all of your problems. It's it's a good healthy coping mechanism. <laughs> Pod Wars does not endorse that statement. <laughs> but that's our plot holes for this week. Um, I think, is it time, dude? Is it time to dive in to the goodness, to the juiciness? to the supple lap that is Comic of the Week. Comic of the Week. Hell yeah. Guys, we've talked about King in Black number one. We've talked about King in Black number two. Do you know what comes after two, Gary? Um, I'm guessing a number. Yes, three. <laughs> <laughs> So we're talking about King in Black number three, guys. And 
let me just say, Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman deliver once again. J.P. Martin and all the all everyone that's involved. the The comic is it's fun, it's exciting, and the whole time the question has been, "Where's Thor? Where's he at?" And there is a plot hole in this one that we can all agree on because if you're reading the Thor story, Thor is like trapped in another dimension. But then when you read King in Black, which is like the current Marvel universe, he just appears. And so I, I listened to the Stegman show uh, quite a bit and Donnie's own podcast. And um, quote Donnie Cates. You can, I guess you could put a Wookiee in here if you want to. Uh, noise Gary. But he said, yeah, COVID <laughs> that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, they could retcon it and just be like, like what was it civil war be like it was a robot thor it was a robot now no donnie was like the when i grew up like the only way like everything that i thought about was that you know something had been an amazing spider-man and then like you know something else happened but doesn't like really make sense it's just like oh and this day this happened and then this day this happened he's like and that's what we're going with this you know you know if COVID hadn't gone on down you know thor would there'd be like a logical logical explanation why thor like shows up but we're not gonna Get that until the next Thor couple comics come out, which I'm excited mm-hmm. for. But anyway, I digress. So King in Black. Uh, Eddie Brock died. And in Venom, we're not going to talk about it, but in Venom, they uh, he's like a codex like inside the symbiote hive, which is pretty cool. Anyway, um, because it ends with... It ends in King in Black 2 with Eddie dying and you know Iron Man coming up with these different ideas to how, they're, how to fight... They're out going and doing that, and Dylan gets really pissed, like uber pissed. And his eyes get like in that spiral. So him and Spider-Man and Wolverine decide to go out into, you know, where all the symbiotes are and just start unleashing hell. And Dylan's just like using his powers, destroying them. And like Captain, like symbiote Captain America evil, like is running up to him. And my mouth dropped two times or maybe three times in this comic three times sorry three and where i legitimately was like whoa like no way (laughs) and the first one was captain america evil captain america is running at dylan and he throws his shield and dylan turns around and just catches it and i and i'm like it's such a badass panel and you're like oh and he's like sorry catholic i'm gonna need this and or he's like i need to borrow this and so then he like blasts the symbiote off of you know cap and then he starts like they all just start like fighting and like Dylan is just like using his powers. It's a pretty cool epic moment, but um, you know King and or uh, Noel is pissed and he's like that hurts. Uh, and when he looks at like when he like tries to get it off of Captain America, he's like, "Hey Noel, can you feel this?" And like causes him pain. So Noel like drops down and he's like, "All right, dude, like it's about to go down." And so they they start fighting and of course Noel you know kicking ass taking names and right before he's about to kill Dylan Thor shows up and the battle between him and Thor are awesome. Well, okay. Let me, it's just let awesome. me see if I'm catching this so far. So Dylan, Eddie Brock's son is joining the fight here. Everyone is still, um, basically symbiotized if that's a word. And so Dylan's just like, I'm gonna fix this. And just like, boom, boom, unsymbiotes them. And Captain America, like, and all the rest of them join the fight as he's just like going off. Not not everyone. It's just Spider Man, Wolverine, and then he like undoes Captain America. Okay, dope. Um, that's that's the only ones that are. And then Thor comes in, and you the the rest like the next panels are an epic battle between Thor and Null, 
and you know they're going back and forth and talking and the the really really awesome cool scene is thor gathers his strength takes melnir and smacks null knocking his jaw the bottom of his jaw off like clear <laughs> off like just and and that like really really pisses off null and that's when he like i can't show you but it's just like blood just like gushing out the his like whole jaw is just off and the way that you know he fixes it he's null gets like a symbiote to come in and like form like a jaw so that he can talk again <laughs> and 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 that really pisses off Noel. So then he gets the necro sword, and he stabs Thor through the back. And um, the whole time through the comics, so like so, Noel or Thor is like kind of like distracted, looking away, and then thinking that like you know he defeated Noel, he literally jacked his like knocked his jaw off, and then while he's distracted, Noel stabs mm-hmm. him. But the whole time during the comic, there's a narrator who's talking. And he's talking about like the difference between good and light and how he's like on his way and he can sense the world is falling apart and all this different stuff. And, and I thought it was Thor talking before he showed up, but then the narration is still going on during the comic when Thor is fighting. And the very last panel is, um, sorry, I'm just going through the looking at it. The very last panel is like this guy saying, I'm on my way. I'm going to be there. Hopefully I'm not too late. And it's silver surfer black flying through the sky. That's dope. Coming to to earth. Okay. I love so, that. Is he in the same like really trippy psychedelic, like silver surfer art style when he's introduced here? Uh, no, it's, it's Stegman doing it. Um, it's not, Oh shoot. What is his name? Oh, uh, f- forgive me for forgetting that guy's name. He's a really good artist. Um, anyway, no, it's Stegman's drawing. But he looks cool. Like he's black, and he he's got like a. Um, oh, I know what happens. Um, sorry, like that kind of like left this little explanation out. After Thor gets stabbed, he sends his ravens because you know how like or Odin like in Norse mythology has like ravens watching. And that's people what gets and, Silver like, Surfer to come down. Yeah, yeah. Thor sends ravens with him or to him to tell him to come, and and so like it's it's Silver Surfer riding on his his. Uh, board with like ravens around him coming towards you know earth it looks really really cool okay that's that's pretty dope because silver surfer like for you guys who aren't super into comics is like incredibly overpowered so you got these crazy overpowered characters in thor and then null and silver surfer all duking it out and then like the kind of other heroes the avenger type heroes fighting it out with the symbiotes on the ground like it just it sounds dope Oh yeah, I I again my mouth dropped when Dylan caught ca- uh, Cap Shield, when Thor smacked the jaw off, and then when you see Silver Surfer Black coming, and it's just like, oh, four King of Black four and five cannot come fast enough. I'm so excited for you know this story, but I'm also really sad because Donnie and Ryan officially announced that they are leaving Venom, which is like really heartbreaking for me because I've been reading this story for four years now uh i've like have every single issue and that yeah they so they officially announced that they're no longer gonna do venom anymore Um, dude what is your prediction then for how they're gonna end their venom story okay so i they they put out a spoiler teaser like picture and it's got 
Venom sitting on a throne yeah. with like it looks like a necro sword, but it's red. So I think Venom is gonna become the king of symbiotes with Noel's no and Noel's locked up somewhere, and whoever takes uh, they already know who's taking over. For Venom, they haven't announced it yet, but apparently it's someone really good and amazing, and he's got a really grand plan to pick up where they left off, and so I'm I'm all for that. I'm still gonna read, you know, Venom because I, I I think Donnie is gonna leave him with like they started they ripped they ripped you know it beginning him with ripping Venom apart, you know, tearing away these pieces, even you know the symbiote itself, and now. You gotta you gotta end the story with a great climax, and I what what's better than him becoming the king of symbiotes? Yeah, I think I I kind of agree with you. I saw that same teaser, and I'm like, yes, they're gonna make Venom basically like a cosmic powerhouse. I, at least I think. I when the what I really appreciate about this run that Donnie's been doing is that they're making Venom like a namestay. Like it, like it's like it's it's not Amazing Spider-Man or Daredevil or or something like that, but it's no longer gonna be. Oh man, like are we gonna get a Venom run? Like no, like Venom is gonna be a character that's gonna be around for a while, and Donnie's given them so many pieces to be able to work with, which is really cool. And, and a character in his um, own right. It's not gonna be oh Venom, yeah, he's the cool guy that fights Spider-Man back in the day. That's now kind of has his on and off runs of him being a good guy. Like he's gonna be an established hero. Yes, exactly, and that's I love that. Uh, my prediction, because Ryan and Donnie are still going to be working together at Marvel, I think they're taking over ASM, which is Amazing Spider-Man. That's the short for it. Which I'd be totally down for. I haven't been super interested in Amazing Spider-Man in a while, and if they take it over, that that would be so good. I mean, Donnie's always talked about how he wants to write that, and he has. I think he has a really good he writes a really good peter parker as anytime like he's shown up in this venom run um like absolute carnage and and king and black so i i think that they're gonna take it over because um the current asm writer he's good uh i just think that the story has been dragged out for a long time and i think that maybe they might spice it up and it's gotten to the point where it's gonna end relatively soon so i predict he's gonna take over that or it's going to be something completely different and amazing and something new and something that Marvel hasn't done in a while. And so I'm, I'm excited to see where it's going, but I'm also really sad that Venom is ending. Yeah, definitely. But guys, expect more King and Black from us from Comic of the Week. Expect a little bit more plot holes. We have no idea in the slightest when this episode is going to drop, so... I'm sure we have something great set up for what right after it. Thank you guys for bearing with our little bit of a backlogging as life is life and Shrek is love. And on that note, have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>